But welcome to the Black Cauldron. This is a new podcast devised by the people over at Reels Tennis Fans. And without the addition of Trisha, who we shall be calling Trisha when we're referring to her in this podcast, because Andre has left us just for this podcast. But for those who know us, um, Janina and Reels, we are huge Harry Potter fans and we've been discussing, throwing back and forth whether we should do a podcast about the seven book series. And we said the book series, not the eight horrible films. And so now that we're on the quarantine, we have nothing but time. So we decided to do this. And, and so welcome to the Black Cauldron. This is the first off of episode. There is there should be at least, if I'm not mistaken, nine to ten episodes altogether. And this is part of our maybe book club series that may happen. But for now, we are just dealing with the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. But before I go any further, let me introduce the two other co-hosts because you know i am nothing without women first we will introduce our special well she's not a special guest she would be a co-host we have debs as you know her shackle 52 aka mrs federer so she is roger's federer side piece just so all you Deb is the number one roger federer fan but under these circumstances, she'll be putting her professional title on the line right now. She is a world-renowned children's librarian in the D.C. metro area, Maryland area. So, Deb, introduce yourself to us. We know you on the podcast, but, you know, well, for those who will be coming. This is such a great opportunity just to talk about um, uh, Harry Potter. Um, I've been a big fan for a very long time. And um, I'm also, uh, I teach young adult literature and will be teaching an online course at the University of Maryland uh, High School this summer. And of course, there's so many changes in young adult and children's literature because of, of Harry Potter. And that's always a big part of what I teach. So, I, and plus the books just bring me a great deal of joy and a great deal of satisfaction from reading the stories and thinking about them. Been to a number of Harry Potter conferences throughout the years. And so it's always just a great great chance to um, talk about Harry Potter with folks who also feel the same way. Oh, wonderful, Deb. So we got to put on our thinking caps here, folks. These are, we're we're going to be on our toes because Deb is going to be asking the tough questions. About I already that. feel inadequate. <laughs> that's, that's the great thing I about Harry that. Potter books is that it really is you know you, you can come from any walk of life I have a really great friend who's a terrific fan and she's a retired physician so children's literature was nowhere near her background and she can she can talk Harry Potter with everybody so I am excited hope she listens to the podcast and I, I'm, I'm so excited to get general feedback from other people because sometimes I think I have unconventional views, but it might be that I might not be the only person out there, and I'm not that special. Well, that's not true, but you know, you never know. And before I go any further, let me introduce my other co-host. We have Janina from Farin, Ohio. She might have, she might be stylizing herself with some other name on the these um, <laughs> I cast, but you know, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I I will not be she who should not be named. Okay. <laughs> Depends on what you have to say now, because, you know, sometimes you come well out of left field and we're like, mm, mm. 
Yeah, you should probably gotta... expect that. <laughs> we gotta put you in Azkaban for now. For <laughs> now. For now. I said Mongos. I just I just want you to know I'm wearing my Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban shirt in honor of the podcast. All oh, right. Look at, look at these. You people have gear. You know, all, all I, I have, have some is a gear. bookmarker. I, I have, have a bookmarker. Oh Jesus! I've I've seen I've known people who have had wands and all this sort of madness, and sometimes I look upon them as being like rather odd. But then what can I say? I've read the book so many times, consumed them backwards, forward, you know, in um, what you call it in the audiobook series, and I just found mm-hmm. something rather exciting. So they had an illustrated, they put it on an illustrative series. Yeah. Um, the first four books are out yeah. now, I think. And yeah. if you have them in um, in a Kindle form or like a... If you look at it in your phone, I don't think it works on the traditional Kindle, but on the Fire, perhaps. It, they are moving pictures. Some oh, of the wow. pictures are animated. Yeah. So in certain stills, they would have like the outline or like the Quidditch... Um, the sneak moving. So it's rather exciting when you see it on. It brings it sort of a little bit more alive. And I'm excited to. I'm looking forward to buying those. Even though I have the old books. Because one thing I've always loved. Is the sort of like the colorfulness. Though I don't always agree with what's on the page. Mm-hmm. It, there's always so much color coming through. From the page. And so much texture. That I've always enjoyed. Um, this, And so. Let me introduce myself. I am. I don't know what I should call myself on this podcast, but I guess it's reels because it's going to be reels in the, it's going to be on our channel. So I guess I have to remain that person, but um, just let you know, people I can read, just, just putting it out there in case you think I only know about tennis. I can read too. <laughs> and tennis requires ability to read. So I think one of the first questions, two things we have to discuss before we go any further is one, what was your first introduction to the book and somewhat a, a short synopsis of what the book sort of mean to you? And two, we're going to get into a tough question. What house do you think, what house do you want to be in? And what house do you think you would be sorted into? Uh, oh, wow. So I think that's a tough question and we can get into the whole uh, discussion of what's happening. And, and just so you know, we'll be taking, um, we're, so we're doing a, I don't want to general we're gonna take criticism or critique book in good ways and bad ways or philosophical ways in many different styles, whether it's from a feminist point of view a colonialist point of view a historical point of view in all the different views uh, a marxist point of view so we're hoping to touch on everything and also we're looking forward to those who do listen to the podcast and eager to respond that they would have some perspective and point of views and criticism to add to it and it's okay you can hate us but you must hate judiciously if you just say you don't like us, you got a problem. And I don't know what else to tell you. But we're hoping that this will be funny. So let us get us on the way. This is a black cauldron. And we can drink here. We can have we can serve adult beverages. So just so you know. Butter beer. No, sweetie. Oh gosh. Fire whiskey. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fire whiskey's on tap. Okay. Fire okay, fine. On tap. So we would start with Deb. What house do you tell us about the books and what they've meant to you, et cetera? Um, I actually, you know, because I was, at the time, I was working in a public library and the books were getting a lot of buzz. I mean, they had gotten 
um, a lot of attention when they were purchased by Scholastic. And um, Scholastic in that time was still sending out um, um, read copies, ARCs. And so I got a couple and I, I brought them home and like a lot of books, you know, you put them on the shelf and say, I'll get to that. And my daughter was in grad school and she was home at the, she was living with me at the time. She picked them up and she said, mom, these are really pretty good. We had the first two. So th these are really pretty good. So I read them and I liked them really fine. But I, I must say, and we'll talk more in detail down the road. It was Prisoner of Azkaban that made me just stop dead in my tracks and go back and read all of them all over again because there was so much going on at that point. So the books have always represented um, what the possibilities are in children's literature in terms of moving beyond just a quote unquote genre type story and how you can have multiple layers and how you can have um, different perspectives like we're gonna provide here that you can provide that at the same time you are providing a very age specific, very age appropriate books for kids as they are growing up. So that's kind of what, what, what they meant to me. And also I always kind of divide books into books where kids are learning about the world and on them on their own and books where kids are trying to, to clean up a mess that adults have left them. And this book does the best combination to me the series is the best combination of those two factors um, that I've ever seen. So I really have enjoyed have enjoyed them from that perspective. Um, I would hope I would be a Ravenclaw um, um, because I see myself as somewhat um, studious, but okay. uh, I suspect that um, kind of would probably be a dumpy Hufflepuff. <laughs> You know, I, I was actually sorted into um, Ravenclaw, you know, in the old Pottermore um, right. um, website. And but I think I kind of probably lied on some things. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the sorting hat does allow you to see right, where you want to be. Right through me. Right. So right. I, I tend to I tend to see myself as a Ravenclaw. Um, so but we'll see. Okay, and when we get to that part in the book, when we if we do discuss that, I, I think that's a very interesting point of discussion because I know somewhere along the line, if I'm not mistaken, Dumbledore asked the question, are we starting too soon or if, should we yeah. start at all? That does question. Yeah. And we know Voldemort says there will be no more starting. So right. not to get ahead. There will be spoilers here for those, okay, people? You had to have read the books. Hopefully, if you haven't read the book, it would spur you to read the books nonetheless. All you just come here for just the kiki, because you know how we do it here at the podcast. So, Janina, what about you? So, for me, I've always been a big reader, always. I spent tons of time in the library growing up, um, but I was really resistant to the Harry Potter books. Um, I didn't think that they were... Anything that I would be interested in, I was never um, someone who liked to read magical fantasy type books ever. And for years, my sister was like, you have to read these books. You have to read these books. I promise you'll like them. And I'm like, I'm not reading Harry Potter. It's for kids. 
I'm not doing it. I th so finally, I was in college, I remember. I was new in college, so I was probably 19, maybe 18, and she had been harping on me to read them for years, years. So finally, I said, okay, give me the book. At the time, all the books had not yet been released. So this was probably like 1997 um, or 8. And uh, she gave me the first three. And I started it, and I just tried to go in with an open mind, and I was immediately hooked. It was just, it's written really well as far as, you know, you, you know what everything looks like. Like, Reels, you were just saying the pages are so rich with color. You can see everything. You're completely sucked into this world. It just takes you. And I devoured the first three books in a matter of days and then I got sick and I was just like I don't know I had like a flu or something and I remember being so disappointed that I had to wait because I just I couldn't even be awake long enough to read and I wanted that fourth book so bad or maybe it was the third I can't quite remember because it was either the third or the fourth where I had to start waiting for them to come out every year so really i have to you know i have to thank my sister um i don't i never really thought about what house i would be in because you know i i pretty much approach the reels gets mad at me for this books is the way that i approach movies and tv i just want to be entertained i don't always want to dissect it and think about what was good what was done good what was done bad and what could have been better i just want to be entertained and i was for sure entertained if i had to put myself in a house i mean why wouldn't i want to be in gryffindor hello <laughs> i want to be with the cool kids um, for folks who are listening out there, she keeps up this attitude. There's another seat available, okay? Her seat is available, okay? Because she's like, it's entertainment only. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to be entertained. I we, know we you fight about that, this constantly. We fight all about the this time. Constantly. All, all the, the time. time. She's, like, she's like, why are you doing this? It's about, like, these things serve a purpose. So, you would be in Gryffindor. So, hmm. So, I would say that, um, I was late. I'd have to say, actually... I guess I'd heard the, the whole Harry Potter, whatever the case of me. I wasn't living in the United States at the time. Um, and I've always been a voracious reader and loved fantasy, uh, particularly since I'm from a, grew up in a place of former British colony, um, in some extent, probably still a British colony. I read Europeans, British um, children books, not American. So we didn't always have a lot of talking wolves and boys living with wolves etc they don't do that it's a lot about magic and pixies and dragons and that sort of thing so it was all in my frame of mind common lexicon and i serena williams had just won the 99 us open and she was on the rosie o'donnell show and she'd mentioned that she loved the series and she and rosie were talking about the book and Rosie's just like, oh my god. And I think, I don't remember if she said that the full book is coming out or something. And that she would get it and you'd have to come back on to talk about it or whatever. And I was like, okay. Oh, this is something, right? This is really interesting. I mean, this is now, I mean, this is like, if it's touching Serena Williams, it's like, this thing is really big then. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's right, a right. thing that two people who seem like, you know, an athlete and, and a talk show host have this thing in common. And it's a children's book. And I used to work at this place, um, teach 
in French of all place of all things. And the children there were talking about the books and they had the books. So I used my power of being an adult-ish in charge and I borrowed the books. And I, at that time, the first three books were available. And it so happened that the person that I borrowed the book from, she was a friend. Her sister, older sister, was a friend of mine. So she was happy and she trusted me to lend me these books because they were hot commodity. I don't know, in, in, in the Caribbean world. You had to borrow and share books, okay? So one person would have a set of books, and you would be like, oh, we can exchange. So books go around all the time, better than the library sometimes. So by the time I had finished reading for three books, I was, I wouldn't say I was hooked. I was very involved in the story, particularly since it was a story that seemed to continue. So I, I guess if the first book had come out, and I, I would have probably stopped at the first book, and maybe if I see the second book, but I had all three books, the first three books. So I was given, you know, one after the other. So and by the time I had finished reading the fourth, the third book, the fourth book was available. And she got the fourth book and I was able to borrow it after she had loaned it to her good friends and whatever the case may be. So I basically read the first four books in succession. And I think it was the fourth book that really was just like, okay. I'm invested in this story. I want to know what's happening. It I took totally... you four books? Well, no. It, it, because, <laughs> like I said, the world that she was describing was not new to me. It was not a foreign world at all. Like, things that they did, it was all harking back to Enid Blyton and those people. They had all been writing fantasies about children entering into magical world, yeah. fighting, you know, evil wizards. You know, not necessarily. There was there were features that were brand um, the children developing, um, going through teenage puberty and angst, whatever the case to me. But children being put upon to do deal with the world of adults was nothing new, and it's a trope that's. So it wasn't that it wasn't. Um, it wasn't that it wasn't that it wasn't exciting and hook. Like I said, I didn't have to wait like you did for like book two to come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had all four books. In, I mean, like, I read them, like, I'm sure I neglected work to read some of these books. <laughs> I'm sure I did. Because I am real, known you, to do that. Be like, you, bring up an you bring up an interesting point because um, the way people got those books changed publishing. And I'll, this is the reason I'm saying that. You know, up until that point, um, the, first, the first three books were published in the U.S. after they had been published in the U.K. People were, get, were loving the book so much, they were ordering the British version, well, especially of the third one, that they were ordering the British version and paying that high shipping cost because Scholastic was behind in terms of publishing the books because of the way, you know, um, international publishing goes. That was they were losing so much money that they began to publish the book simultaneously yeah. around the world. And so the third book was the last book that they actually sent out with advanced readers' copies. Because by that point, they were such a huge commodity that people, kid, young people were finding, and of course the internet um, had grown so dramatically, and people were able to um, you know, do that kind of thing. Um, they were actually able to purchase online. 
So it really changed publishing. It, at least it changed it for that particular, for kind of the blockbuster book so that they weren't going to lose a penny because people got their bright idea. I'm going to just send a UK for my copy of this rather than wait. So that was kind of, it changed the publishing, the way those books were published because they began to take off so, so hugely. The other thing they changed was audiobooks was that um, because they were so popular on audio, that it, for a long time, kids' books were, if they were published at all on audio, they were published like paperback, like a year later, nine months later. They, they began to publish everything simultaneously because there was such a demand. So by the time of the third book, we were already, um, we were seeing that. And then, of course, the fourth book was the one where it really um, took off, made such a big splash, we got, got on the cover of Time magazine. You know, so we really began to see it as a cultural phenomenon. Well, because that was also interesting because there were really, I can't think of any children's book that I grew up in that was popular, that was popular in America and <clears throat> popular in the British version, unless it's classics like, Tom Sawyer right. and Huckleberry Finn, those international best-selling classic that, you know, all of literature, and they were literature, not necessarily children's literature. We're talking about literature with the capital L. So, uh, so that was sort of my introduction of it. I mean, even the way in which they did, like, school at 11, that, that's the British system. So what was happening in Harry Potter's world was not entirely foreign and brand new for me. What I would say, like I said, there were a lot of details that perhaps Enid Blyton didn't always provide. And right. she always wrote up. She didn't, she didn't have a massive series. Like you would enjoy a book and then, oh, well, it's over in no time. But Hale was someone who was writing a book that seemed to be catered for an audience that was older and mature. And there was a sort of a... Um, she didn't try to dumb down the audience. There were things that were like, you know, like you did in it, but it keeps rather simple words. But we're in this talking about, you know, mandracore and all this sort of like, you know, she's using a whole bunch of reference to Cersei and, you know, Magana and Merlin. And these were all things that I knew because these were all elements of stories that we had read. We'd also read um, every high school student growing up when I was in, had, had this book called Legends of Green, and you had to read that, even though it wasn't on the school curriculum. It wasn't, it was never taught in class, but it was just a book you had to own that everyone had to read. And, you know, we would always discuss Greek and Roman philosophy. So that was sort of my introduction. And I've been, um, I've never lined up for any of the copies. I've always walked calmly someplace and found a copy the very day that it came out. I just, I will not refuse, you know, to get involved because, you know, it's a lot of white people and white people and the children and, you know, I'm a black man. So I avoid <laughs> that scene in arena because <laughs> it might not end well for me. I did go to, I did go to one um, midnight release party um, for the sixth book, but we'll talk about that one when we get to. Oh, I, to I got the sixth book at midnight that night as well. Trust me, but I avoided the crowd. I went to the movies at 12 o'clock. And two o'clock in the morning, Barnes and Noble was still open, and they let you buy a copy. <laughs> you know, because people <laughs> oh, were on this. 
I was that full standing in line. Sidewalk, reading a copy. So, you know, and it's always exciting when there's a book, you know, I mean, that isn't quote unquote problematic that everyone's reading. And once it's getting children to read, I will not be upset about that at all. It's always um, exciting for that. And as for the house, I would say that I would be in Slytherin. I I'm knew like, you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that because it's a very um, odd thing, you know, that um, though I guess it's pure blood, whatever, and we could probably put a stand in for race in that thing. That pure blood means that you have to be white. But um, I would like to be in Slytherin because there is Slytherin seem to be able to do everything, right? There is a mad loyalty involved in it. I'm not, I'm not, you know, down with that madness. Um, they're brave and somewhat. They're very skilled and smart. And again, I, some of these description that has been used to say what these houses are, I think, are quite arbitrary and weird. But um, I do think that in order to defeat the dark magic, you have to know the dark magic. So. Somebody got to take a hit for the team and go in there and find out. <laughs> because apparently they have a different textbook than everybody else at that school seems to have when, it comes to <laughs> when it comes to transfiguration and the like. So I am going into Slytherin for the um, information. So, so I have a question before we dig ahead. into the book. Um, just like the whole series wise, did you reread the books before the next book came out? Yes. All of them? Yes. Me too. See, when I tell people that, because they're like, well, how many times have you read it? I'm like, I don't know. Do the math. Because I reread the entire series each time a new book was coming out and each time a new movie was coming out. I reread up until that point for the movies and for the books, you know, obviously the entire series to that book that was next. If I knew I was waiting on a new book or a new movie, I would just put it put I would just put it in my car. And I would listen to the entire series up until that point. So I would be ready because I'm, I'm a real auditory learner. And when I listen, I remember more. And oh, okay. so I definitely would listen to them if I was waiting for another book to come or a movie. And to tell you the truth, if I knew I was getting ready to go to a conference, I would read, okay. reread everything or re-listen to everything. I have to see it, though. So I could I can work with the audio, but it has to have been in my like they're like sometimes British classic small print. It's good to get the audio. I have to read the book at the same time. It doesn't work any other way for me. I can take in more reading, but mm -hmm. audio. Um, I know in my head even when I think of the audio most of the times, I am thinking about the pages in the book. Oh, okay. So I, I, I'm seeing the words. So I have read them many times. I've read them backwards, forward, in the middle. I would say that I've reread them probably from the fifth book onwards, probably, um, where we reread the whole series. Because, like I said, I got the first four books basically all at the same time. So that sort of helped me with that manner. But I've, there are times when I have, um, I think for the seventh book, I read the seventh book. When the seventh book came out, I read that went backwards and then went back from the beginning to the end and somewhere in between then because it's been what 13 something odd years since it it's been the last book came out and yeah. i've read them and listened to them in various bits since then so now when i think about the books and even 
I am thinking about the pages in the book where it's written. So that has been committed to my mind somewhere. I don't think I have a photographic memory, but, but I think you have a photographic memory. <laughs> We've discussed this. He reads something one time and he never forgets it. I'm actually just now doing the audiobooks for the first time. Uh-huh. I've always read them. Um, and, and when we decided to do this podcast, it's been a long time since I've read any of the books. So I wanted a refresher and I don't really have the time to sit down and read uh, traditionally. So I got the audiobooks. And I tried the audiobooks years ago. I hated it. But I wasn't a fan of audiobooks at that point in my life, whereas now I am. Um, so I'm enjoying it so much, so much. I am just like listening every chance I can get. I started less than a week ago and I'm on book three. Um, at this rate, I'm doing about a book every two days. You know, my <laughs> poor family, because I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry, I'm listening to my book. Um, but yeah, I, I hated the audiobooks before. I. I, it just it wasn't my thing, but this is, oh God, this has been so fun. It you has been so fun. Reading, right? The, the I, audiobook, I think, is a, that's well, really an experience. And I, I think I'm reading it, um, knowing what's going to happen, I'm not rushing. You know, I'm not thinking about, oh my gosh, what does this mean? I'm able to just soak everything in, know what it means, catch things that I didn't catch before or never thought about in a certain way. You know, we discussed as the through the planning of this that nothing happens by mistake. Right. Everything has a reason. And that is what's been jumping out to me the most. As So right now I'm, I'm listening to Prisoner of Azkaban and I mean, every single thing. I didn't think two shits about uh, Scabbers not having a toe the first time, you know? But, like, nothing is an accident. Like, it's just perfect. So, not jumping too far ahead, but... Even in the very first book... um, Right. There are a lot of details. when, When Hagrid comes to bring Harry to the Dursleys, he brings him on Sirius's motorbike. Yeah. And... So, I mean, right at the very, there's so many things. And, of course, that doesn't mean anything to you when you first read it. Nothing. When you're just reading the, the first book, you're not thinking about, well, what does it mean that, you know, he has Sirius's motorbike? And, you know, we don't even know whose motorbike it is. We just know he brings him on a motorbike. And from right. that moment on, Harry has dreams about riding in a, in a motorbike. So, but these are things that that are just kind of dropped in and that will have so much more meaning down the road. And then you, you know, that's the beauty of the rereading is when you go back and you say, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that was yes. at that point. And, um, you know, I didn't realize that Chamber of, Chamber of Secrets is really, it's really where it's at in terms of giving you the foreshadowing. Oh yeah. Later books. So especially early, early books, which may sound like, you know, really kind of cute kids uh, school stories have so much bearing on how it, the whole thing plays out. Well, actually, I want to start there when we are going to discuss. So I just want to say before I go back, I just want to point out that one of the things that have attracted me to this book, and despite I have many issues with J.K. Rowling on many different levels, one of the things that I have to admire is the sheer planning and execution yeah. of this book. This required a sort of a mindset that I don't know. It's 
it it, it requires a sort of a three dimensional if only way to think about it. Um, right. Planning of being able to set things up in motion, and that is a skill I hope to acquire. I'll be able to do anyway close to that. I've been able to set set these like crumbs in different places. That's it is right. such a um, it is almost and it's also one of my favorite genre. The piece it's a mystery novel that somewhat gets together in a whole this slew children adventure. So there are many different things she's working at the same time. But it is a children's book, allegedly. And in the very first chapter, let's get into the book. So we have something rather interesting and unique. We have an attempted triple murder in the very first chapter. I know plenty of people like to forget Privet Drive and think it's important and relevant, and we're going to get to that because that is a very important place for me. But the story of Harry Potter basically starts in to any sort of a substance. You know, we know there's a little backstory before that, but what really sets the chain of action in motion here for why Harry Potter is Harry Potter. Um, it's an attempt to triple murder. The Dark Lord, Voldemort, one who shall, he, shall, he who shall not be named, attempts to kill three people at the same time. A murder that he, we would later realize, that he chose to do himself. Something he could have done, could have been executed in any other way. But this was a particularly special murder that he decides to choose to do. And he, his real target, it is hinted at, was the baby. It was really a child toddler who was about two. So is this a children's novel when we start off in such a horrific fashion? <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it, is, it isn't seen as being horrific, though. But, you know, really, that's where we right off the bat, we get into the tradition of, of fairy tales and, and folk tales. Um, because if you really read any of the real Grimm's fairy tales, Right. They don't shy away from the horrific. So in a way, it really harkens back to, I mean, because most people are familiar with the Disney vibe versions of fairy tales, right? which, you know, are fine for what they are, but that's not the tradition of fairy tales. And um, so by starting off with the horrific, you know, she's really going back to kind of the way fairy tales are structured. Or were structured. Right. So we have this sort of uh, setting up thing. And we have a, which I, for me, it was, but it, it's so skillfully done where there is no blood involved, right? Right. That the, the fact that right. if we think about, oh, someone attempts to kill a parent and kill a family, we're thinking yeah. this is going to be a messy, gory scene. But because it's children literature in a, perhaps a certain way, we accept certain hardship is going to be involved. But mm -hmm. it sets up like this poor, unfortunate kid, right? This baby, this boy, gender, typically the boy, orphan. the mm -hmm. orphan boy. Mm -hmm. And he is sent to family. I mean, to say they treat him miserably it would be an understatement because... In my mind, there is nothing else to describe this but child abuse to the point of... I'm about to call ACS. I am ready to call ACS. And it is with no pain, it's without it was with much pain that I, I don't know what happens to these evil people. That that disappoints me so much. That these people have done. And that was that would later be pointed out 
in one of the future books that they literally abused this child. That this child was Harry, in my opinion, is suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome, basically PTSD, yes. from being abused for all of his life, basically. Because he, he experiences the abuse every time he goes back there. Whether it is just the ignoring him, the outright attempting to hit him. There is a scene in one of the books where I think Aunt Petunia takes a skillet and a saucepan and attempts to hit him in his head. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bitch, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what? What? Right, like who treats children this way? Why is I mean, this in a child's book? But like, you know, you're, it's so, you're it's attempting so... to kill him. There is no that cannot be described. Well, and they starve him, and they, they starve him. They they deprive him of sunlight. They do exactly everything, everything, everything that they can possibly do to him. Raises the question: He's small for this reason, he is yeah. very tiny. They put him in a house that is supposedly spotless, this is right? Because she's this clean, neat freak. But he's in a spot where there are spiders. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they abuse him. And not only that, they make him earn his... He must cook for them. Right. He must do the bacon, watch the bacon. And besides just being nasty, one of the things that is particularly um, psychological abuse that they do is that they constantly deprive him of something in front of his nephew, in front of his cousin. That mm-hmm. hair is Dudley getting something and you will not have it. What is Dudley's having for himself? You would not get something. Even for the birthday present. Don't give him anything. That would have been better than giving him a dirty socks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Harry isn't. He is suffering from malnutrition. <laughs> and it's absolutely clear. But and he must wear Dudley's It raises clothing. an interesting question of nurture versus nature. Because despite all of that. When he is. When he is on his way to Hogwarts and when he really does finally get into an arena, even though he has his own issues that you rightfully describe as PTSD, he, he could have been a monster, but he's not. Um, and, you know, unlike Dudley, who's been given everything he's ever wanted and is, you know, awful. So you wonder how much of this was just Harry's nature to be, you know, he soaks up friendship when he finally gets it from the Weasleys. And, um, he, you know, you, he, he doesn't have, we talked about so the idea of not having a lot of friends, but, you know, with someone who has been treated the way he has been treated, another way they could have gone is to be almost um, sociopathic in a way because of the deprivation that they've had. But I ask a question, though. I'm not, I'm not trying to demonize Harry, but I do want to. Don't we? Do we not see some of those things come up anyway? Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's oh yeah. Secretive. He's very secretive. Yes. He keeps a yeah. very very tiny, um, tight circle. He doesn't even communicate to the boys that live in the room with him. Like they are very reconversing, which he has with the other people, that every time you meet them and they have some kind of substantial conversation, he's learning something brand spanking new about these people. Right. And I know he's often said he lived in the muggle world, but one of the even greater trauma for Harry Potter is that he doesn't even know the muggle world. There are no. many things about the real world 
that you know outside magical world that he's been deprived of. He's yeah. never been anyway, and and this abuse that the abuse of Harry continues to the point where even neighbors have to abuse Harry too, because Mrs. Fig cannot be nice to Harry because it would be implied that if Harry likes going over there, that's not a place for him. That they have to sort of like maintain the cover of the abuse, and that to me is like you know it's like whoa, but this is a this is a very traumatized child, and Harry does he is um, rude and petulant. I mean, like he does give these Dursleys, um, he gives them as we would say back answers. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he does give back when he can. You know, he's not like a whimpering child. Like he is. There is a point where he you know he's fed up and. I think they make some cute references, like where he like would shrink the clothes, um, right. where they try to give him an old sweater that you know that magic is pouring out of him that he's defensive magic, I guess, where he does you know that continues. So it's that is not to say that it was anything okay, but he's not a whimpering. He does not always accept being victimized. He does do what he can do. I um, think that 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 bit of what you're saying in. I think he recognizes that, and I think we see that first when he's being sorted. You know, he associates already as soon as he gets to Hogwarts as Slytherin being evil. And yeah, but because he sees he, that he, in himself. Hagrid told him that. Hagrid right. said it's not a, a wizard that didn't go bad that wasn't in, in Slytherin. Right. So, Let me ask the question. Maybe that. Maybe that's why he doesn't go bad. Not because he doesn't go in Slytherin. Because from the very beginning when he learns that he is something, right? Mm-hmm. Because he lives in a world Harry Potter isn't just a regular person, right? And right. All throughout, Harry Potter is a symbol of something. And it's a symbol not just of good. It's a specific type of good. It's a mm-hmm. specific opposite force to the very man who killed his parents, who deprived him. Because in many ways, he blazed Voldemort. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say you blame, he just says, you know, he often says, you killed my parents. But mm-hmm. what in fact, Voldemort made Harry be in this situation that he is a private drive. He deprived him of many of the things. And in the wizarding world, he doesn't face this kind of, he is, he is completely the opposite, right? He's a yeah. symbol for something good. Yeah, he's a hero. He has money. Already. Not only that, he well, has money. He has, which changes, which is an interesting thing, right? He's not only he's only someone he can access many of limitless wizarding world because of the money he has, and he's afforded some level of um not just credibility but um fame status. Right, everyone who meets him would like to buy him a drink. He right. means something to everyone. He is welcomed. There isn't a single home in the wizarding family, and that has been said earlier on that anyone would have taken Harry. But Dumbledore deliberately puts him with right. the Dursleys so that he will not know that he is famous, so that he will not know. In addition to being, you know, we find out later that there is a blood tie thing issue that's going on with keeping him safe. But r- right off the bat, we find out in the first book that Dumbledore does not want him to know the scope of who he is. Yeah. He does not want him to grow up knowing that before he can even know anything else. And Dumbledore makes that trade-off, which is the first of many trade-offs that we will see as we go forward, 
he makes that trade-off. So he is largely, and he knows what he's leaving, Harry, too. I mean, remember McGonagall said, they're the worst type of muggles. Exactly. And my favorite bit in that scene is just like, wait, you, you couldn't explain, you could, with a letter? <laughs> She's just <Right>. like, <laughs> you wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> you left a damn letter? Really? <laughs> like, the fuck? Like, you're not going to leave. Really? You're going to leave this child with these people? Like, no, I don't. Like, I, my favorite bitch is like, I saw that boy kicking his mother up the street. <laughs> He's like, there is, if you, in the audiobook, the guy does this pause, you know, like this famous, like, she's like, wait, wait, who, wait, who, here? Like, Albus, <laughs> like, you, like, like, you can see she's a man that's like, this man who can do great things, right? Who he who must not be named is afraid of. Right. He makes a decision to send this, put this child here and leave it with a letter. And even that is adding to the um that I thought was rather interesting with the even that he leaves him a doorstep, doesn't usher him across and say, Hello, I am who I am, who I am, and this is the child, you know, here is an explanation. He leaves a letter to communicate everything. Right. And there is no actual communication, which I, I think is a rather an interesting choice that he makes. No, no one explains. So then so there, Harry is cut off from being that in any sort of importance, right? Because you left him like a package on the front step. You know what I mean? You trust him to, yes, you trust Hagrid, but um it's seemingly not an important to the rest of the wizarding world, it's, they would not leave an important task to Hagrid. And I have issues with Hagrid for real. I mean, like, this motherfucker is, has loose lips. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he sends a ruffian to pick him up, you know, like, pick mm -hmm. up the package, brings him here, you know what I mean? And and leave him on the doorstep. And it is the the Dursleys, I mean, like, these people are so wicked. Me, you know, they are standing for a certain, there is a something that's going on, I think, that the that J.K. Rowling tries to make about the Dursleys. She yeah. calls them, you know, she, she speaks about, you know, she describes them as being fat. You know, she constantly says, you know, they're fat, they're piggy, they're well, porky-like. Except Petunia. Petunia is, is bone thin. Right. And, and, and she's like, you know, the standard... Um, kind of depiction of almost vinegar-based woman um, that she's everything that she does is sour, and you know, pet, you know, she so she is the exact opposite in a way. But it, but he also talks mostly. She talks about their lack of imagination, imagination, right, and their lack of and their their fear of anything that they can't understand with their limited understanding. <laughs> Um, and so I think that's what she's saying a lot about people who go through the world with no understanding of anything other than what they have right in front of them. Well, they make magic out to be a almost like a mental illness. Yeah. And I have a question. And so there is that sort of a phobia that they're describing, right? That there is this constant, um, I think Mr. Dursley puts it like, they're not normal. They're freaks. Yeah. They're constantly yeah. different. He makes that point. You know, like, they're mental in the head. You know, like, they're constantly like, right. 
oh, like what nonsense are you speaking about? But here's the interesting thing that I find rather about them is that that would have been interesting if the neighbor had such notions about what magic are, the idea that anyone can be magical. But for the Dursleys, they exp- they know for a fact that magic is real. Right. That it is a, that it is the, the the capability, the power of what it is, particularly um, Mrs. Petunia. Mm-hmm. And that's the, well, I don't even know why she would tell her husband that you know she has magical family, right? Just say I have a sister and like whatever. She's a tramp, you know. That would have been the right. easy thing. I could have seen the explanation when the child pops up at the door, right? But she tells him. And he to have this phobia as well. So there might be something that he's he might be bringing his own trauma, right? Maybe his brother was a wizard. <laughs> we don't know, right? That's a question that you know that we could, you know, because I'm just like, so your sister is crazy, whatever, girl. Like, whatever. I'm not marrying your sister. I'm marrying you, right? right. But he has this same phobia and attitude. And even when they have seen magic in front of them, because I think nearly every time magic happens in front of them. There's still resistance to the idea. So at the very least, acknowledge that it is real. You can reject it and be like, you know what, I don't like this thing. But they not only reject it, their rejection is to the point where it is an absurd thing. So I don't know, is there something in life that we sort of, uh, um, it, it speaks to probably society at large where we would acknowledge, we would refuse to acknowledge a thing even though it is right in front of us, just to make oh, ourselves yeah. comfortable and powerful because they exert a certain level of um, superiority from that right. fact, right? They, they constantly describe them as being poor and, you know, like, oh, he has no money. And, you know, and there is an interest in that, that even that opening sequence is so familiar with um, 19th century British novels of the poor often. And the poor often having to, he is being mistreated because he has no use or she has no use. And they must find some sort of use within the household uh, environment in order to be accepted or even acknowledged. And for the most part, Harry doesn't have that much use to the Dursleys. So they they feel compelled to take him in. All right. So right. um yeah but they also they also like to um they hide him away as much as possible. They don't want the rest of the world to know that he's there. Um remember when he talks when 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 um Vernon here overhears people talking about Potter and Harry, you know, he doesn't even want to think that that is the same Harry Potter that is related to his wife. Um and but of course once the baby gets there it's a reality. But they refuse, you know, he refuses to see. Um, and I think that that's, that's, uh, that's common. People put blinders on, walk through the world, even things that, they, that are right in front of them. They ex- insist that they're not there or they downplay it or they minimize it in some way. <laughs> we certainly are living through that right now. So I think that that's very, a very real aspect of human nature that she brings up. There's also the whole thing that, you know, they don't want to talk about it, but they know that it exists because Petunia grew up with it. So she's right. afraid. She's afraid. She knows that she has to do this because she knows that the repercussions are very real if she doesn't. So, But she does it in the most minimalist way that she can. Like, okay, here's right. a roof. 
here's a piece of bread, but I don't have to love you. But she knows that if they don't take this child in and take care of him, that, you know, shit's going to hit the fan and it's going to be more than they could ever even think. So there's that aspect too, because she does know that this world exists as much as she wants to ignore it. We don't really know if Vernon had any knowledge of it prior to Petunia. You know, I don't think that's ever made clear. No. So we assume no. that he hasn't. But she, you know, she remembers Lily getting the letter to Hogwarts and in the, mm -hmm. the so, you know, quote unquote, weird things that she did as a child that Harry exhibits as a child before he knows that he's magical. So, I mean, all of that comes into play. So I think they're like, she's walking this very tight line as to what it means to care for someone just enough to not have this world come down on you in a judgmental, harsh way, which it's still, I mean, he clearly like reels was saying was abused in every possible way and nothing, you know, there was no punishment. Well, what happens to them? Um, yeah. Jake Rowland isn't, isn't very good at dealing with punishment of family, mm, AKA the Malfoys, but we'll get to them. Um, I would say rather interesting that we, we are on this point with the Dursleys. It's the fact that they, um, when they do speak of Harry, they constantly make him out to be this horrible being because they, because they describe it's almost, they, they, they make the assertion to everyone that whatever is wrong with Harry, though there's nothing wrong with Harry, that Harry has a pathological thing, right? That they, right. this is like, even the school, even they, they, they say, it doesn't say go to some boarding school, whatever it is. They make it up a, a, a boarding school for the criminally insane boys or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Like, the, it, it's just this, and I'm just like, why would you say all of these things? Because he lives with you as a baby, right? It reflects your ability. It speaks of your ability to be a parent or a guardian for someone. This See, is on they, you. They, they subscribe to the belief, though, that it's because they don't they even say blood will out. I don't yes. know if they said it in the first book, but uh, I know that they, they insist that on it. That comes up in the right. Right. This is, this is because of, of who, who, who his parents were, that he is this way when they describe him as being terrible and, and you know, just, just awful and despicable. They always hearken back to what do you expect because his parents bad but it's funny right because we, we would find out subsequently that the reason why harry is there and he's protected it's by that very same blood right yeah it's, it's blood that it's blood link that, it's blood link that keeps him there right, right? and then that's, you and speak of his blood being bad later. and yet yeah it's a rather interesting notion so uh, that's something i want us to keep thinking about that you know harry at in private drive because it to me brings a lot of interest in um notion because you would see that this this hatred of magic harry or whatever it is it intensifies every single book and it never stops basically right, right. they maintain this because they could have kept the magical secret from dudley because harry isn't supposed to do magic you know what i mean like he, right but they maintain this sort of a that every one of them sort of have this um, feeling. So we should be an interesting thing. So we get on to Harry finds out he is a magician, not a magician, a wizard. 
And he accepts this rather calmly in his other way. I no, don't you? <laughs> he does. He does. He accepts it rather calmly. But when he wakes up the next morning, he does wonder if he dreamed it. He right. does. You know, he, he does wonder. Did I dream that? Did that really yeah. happen? So I, I would say he accepts it, but he he recognizes that this is pretty. This is a pretty fantastic, in the true sense of fantastical, you know, thing to be going on. Right, but I, I think because there is a way he wants to accept it and believe it's possibly a dream because the magical world provides an escape for Harry. Yeah. It is he, an he, escape from, you know, like, the, because he's already made up his mind. Whatever they're doing there, because, you know, in his mind, he doesn't imagine what needs to happen until he gets to school itself, right? Like, what kind of magic I have to perform? He doesn't even open any of the textbook. Like nothing. he just knows that it's got to be better than what he's he done. Be That's than it. Why he is right, which is rather and I interesting. Think at some point, he says um, he had always hoped he had always had this fantasy that somebody would come and take him away from the Dursleys. Right, and that um, you know he did. Of course, he didn't anticipate it being wizards, but uh, he had giant. always thought you know. <laughs> Surely there's some other relation that I don't know about that could swoop in and take me out of here, which is in a way another little piece of foreshadowing. Right. Um, when I come later about, you know, somebody that you don't know about that's in your life that has a connection to you. So, yeah, he's this always very, wanted that. This, this was a dream come true. And I would say this is very, again, harkening back to British literature. Um, the elements are said this is very much um, Oliver Twist. That Oliver yeah. Twist leaves the mistreatment that he was given when he was basically put in a home, a funeral home, nonetheless. Um, interesting enough, and he leaves that behind, strikes out at 10, 9, dependent, 8, 9, dependent on which edition you're reading. And he says, I have to seek my fortune elsewhere, <laughs> whatever. Is out there has to be better than this life that I right. am seeing. And you see this sort of like the gruel, please, sir, can I have some more? It is an mm -hmm. economical, uh, it's an economic economic decision that's being made that is saying that there is a theory um that goes about in around this time that, and it's interesting enough, it's something that came out from slavery, that if you feed them too much, they would think too highly of themselves. They would get too much strength. They would get too much notion of wanting to do things and go places and be too energized. No. Feed them the bare minimum so that they can just get through the day. Mind you, this this often end up killing these people, right? <laughs> because right. usually because you have no ability to withstand any kind of disease or anything because you were malnourished. Right. And the idea also is just that because what do so also happen is that Depriving people of food was a punishment. And it's a common trope in, in fairy tales, right? Oh, you mm -hmm. have been bad. We will take away your supper. Right? Right. Granted that the supper wasn't much to begin with. So <laughs> that's the part that we never really see. And we see many elements of this in Harper. I think they starve him for several days, weeks, in fact. Yeah. Um, they've done this to him. And these well, that was a alive. common punishment for Harry was to send him to his cupboard until they get the first letter that says, identifies the fact that we know he's in our cupboard. And so then they move him. You remember? They move him to a bedroom. Yeah. Which is rather, yeah. They're, they're, they're moved by shame. And this is the thing that when, it, when the shame is, when their behavior is publicly acknowledged, 
they make some sort of move, right? The right. terrorist someone says, and and then the shame continues. The boy with the smallest bedroom, right? <laughs> yeah. And I ask myself, the wizarding world, and, and I and I have questions for the wizarding world as well. Is that you know this shit right. was going down? Yes. You know. Yes, they knew. They knew. They you knew. know precisely what was they going knew. down, and yep. you people didn't even send a letter. Another letter, Dumbledore. Another letter. <laughs> it's just like. Now I wonder if you know, there's a letter. Okay. Dumbledore says to Petunia, "Remember my last." And I don't know. We don't really find out what that last. She was. Remember, she was getting ready to kick him out in the later. Yeah. Hour, and he says he he sends her a letter says, "Remember my last." And you get the feeling that that's some letter or that's some communication that we have not seen um, that has gone on between the two of them. And that so she has to back off. From I think that last was actually the first letter. Actually, Was it just that same letter? Okay, It's the same letter. Because I think in the letter it is somewhere described. As, I don't know whether Rowling had a discussion. But when it's been played, I think the conversation is that in the first letter... Dumbledore does explain exactly why she's supposed to do. He's to okay. be there, and the implication is that if he's not, if he doesn't stay here and there is no protection, if the protection isn't established for Harry, it also isn't established for you, Got because you. it Got will you. come to you. He will come to you, thinking that it's worth looking here for him. But we he all right. we all know it isn't pointless, and I think that's also that's precisely the reason why they have to disappear. The same time, mm-hmm. yes. because though yes. he knows, though we all know where he is, they just can't get physically there. That, that a magical barrier has been created in that yes. place, almost like um, <clears throat> what you might call it, almost like um, I guess how Hogwarts works and how yeah. you can hide these yeah. things that you can only get through because of blood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we would, these magical theories would come up because I'm very, very interested in the magical theories of the Harry Potter world. So, yes, yeah, so Harry is at school and but we back up. Like, I just thought it was rather odd. He's just like, you know, he wants it like, oh, I'm a magician. I'm a wizard. Yes. Fuck. I'm not going to go to some place where it's not going to be here. Yes. We're down for that. I'm right. going to go with some half wizard, half giant man. I don't know who he is. And again, we have another letter. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean right. Just, and a, pink, a letter with, with a pink, comes. The pink umbrella. The pink umbrella, pink. right? <laughs> and he's going away with some strange man, stranger danger. And <laughs> Harry is accepting of all of these things. And though, yes. we don't, though we don't say this, this is precisely that happens to the other looming figure. This is the same thing that somewhat happens, right? There is a similarity in the two worlds, in their two lives, rather. That even though they're like 60, 70 years removed. But, you know, Harry accepts this because, you know what? It gotta be better than this shit. And Harry well, how Hagrid fed him, remember? Right. They're in that cabin hiding and, and Hagrid conjures up this nice fire and he makes tea and he gives Harry sausages and that was probably the biggest meal of his entire life. So hell yeah, yeah he's going with him. <laughs> and he gives him a piece and of he cake. cake. Yes, he gave him a birthday cake. I mean, you know, he gave him all of these things that no one has ever even considered giving him. So yeah, he's going. He's for sure gonna go. And, I mean and, I would go. And more importantly 
he has given him information about his parents. Right, right. He's told him about his parents. He has told him a narrative about his parents that he couldn't even have imagined. Yeah. And so that is what he has been hungry for. Because remember, he wasn't even allowed to bring them up when in the Dursley household. Right. Yes. Hagrid not only does all of these physical things for him, he has fed him with the hunger he has had to know who who am I and where do I come from. Right. So we can say if we're going to do, you know, like overarching themes in terms of literature way, that the magical world has finally, from the magical world, has counted Harry Potter as a person, which yes. has not been acknowledged in the real world. So, yeah. so that's what he is excited about. He doesn't care about the magic. He doesn't care He's about any of that because, yeah. because yeah. it's the only place that so far, and it has counted him as a person, whether or not they want to kill him or not, that <laughs> they see him as a real person because you have to seek out a real person to kill that person, right? This yes. person's of some note worthy of, of, of interest in. And there is a little tiny tidbit of information that is given there that it's always fascinated me in that scene where Hagrid says to Harry, we don't know why he tries to kill you and we don't even know how he tried to kill you because he has killed many magical people, right. great magic, right. the Pewits, the Bones, the McKibbins. <clears throat> he killed them himself and he couldn't kill you. Right. So here is something that that's is, why he's the boy who lived. Right. So there is, but this is some information that is given, not in the same way because where everyone else has this information, right? Mm -hmm. Because Hermione reads this information in a book. Right. Harry Potter is a fairy tale, is a tale in the magical world. Mm -hmm. And here is Hagrid, the last person to provide any kind of information, provides the information to him in this very nonchalant manner, like, hey. You are somebody special, like, fuck these crazy people here, right? No. The muggles, and interesting enough, the muggles are seen as crazy in the magical right. world. Yeah. So there is this duality that's held plain here. Like, magical people think non-magical people are crazy, and non-magical people who know magical people exist seem to think that they are insane. And I don't know whether it is a failure on their part that they can't believe what's happening in front of them. So that is something we need to um, hold. The magical world is giving Harry um, not only it, it not only gives a Harry a person a personality, it gives him personhood, but it gives him a purpose. Right? right. We have three right. P's. Let's put that. Make note of that somewhere. So we're at school, which is the most exciting place. Right? We're in the magical world. So, ladies, tell me what the magical world means for you when you're in there now. How exciting or not exciting you are. Oh man, <laughs> it was, listen, it's so fun because what child doesn't have some sort of fantasy to be able to experience things that are supposedly not real and everything is real on a level that isn't so far fetched that you go, gosh, this might be real. Like, this can't all be made up. This is so fun, you know? I mean, we think of witches and wizards and we think of them riding around on broomsticks. And then we learn about Quidditch. Um, we think about, you know, 
things appearing out of thin air and then the feast starts and then there's all this food and it's everything that you could ever want. Um, the sorting hat. I mean, everything is just, it's, it's out there, but it's not so far out there that it can't maybe be real. For me, that's how it just, that's what sucked me in. Like this is just, it wasn't unbelievable and that might sound crazy but i mean it wasn't unbelievable for me so that's what made it so much fun it was just everything was just like kicked up a notch so i don't know i i loved i loved watching harry um explore this magical world through his eyes and Hermione's um, especially because they were completely new um, Hermione was more prepared you know because she's like oh my gosh I am a wizard so I'm gonna learn everything I can before I get there because that's who she is but at right. the same time she comes from the muggle world so everything is new to her Ron he's just like watching his siblings go through this year after year so he's excited to be there so we get to see this newness in three very different ways and I just loved that I, I loved it everything was just so vivid and fun it was just fun I did. A, I was like, I want to be there. You feel like you want to be there. Where the hell's my letter? Where's my owl? There, there would be. Um, it's, it's when Harry is shopping for school. He, I think the line in the book says he wished he had about eight eyes, and I think that's the way you feel when yes. you get to Hogwarts, and even starting with the trip across the lake. I mean, just your everything about it is designed to make you feel that you're going someplace very special. You're going to have these wonderful experiences. But then when you get there, there are a lot of things that are recognizable in that it's still school. Um, it's still immediately, you know, you, you figure out that um, people line up with different friends or what have you. And then you have the, the fear that Harry experiences with the sorting hat, that he would that he would somehow be placed some in a place that he could thrive, that it would be that he could enjoy, that he could learn and not be afraid. Because I think the other thing is, you know, that we haven't touched on a whole lot is just this Harry's fear um, mm -hmm. that he is not going to be able to live up to all of this attention. Right, because everyone recognizes him immediately when he's shopping. It's, yeah. oh, you're Harry Potter. Oh, my gosh, you're Harry Potter. You know, and so Hagrid is like, we got to go. And um, so, yeah. you know, there is a fear that, you know, that he experiences. But the main thing is the sense of wonder that um, you can, that only an 11-year-old can have, um, which is, you know, so interesting in terms of the age pieces that we see as we go through the books. And um, so you, you've really experienced that. Although I remember being at a conference one time and, and said, and someone said, you know, you're giving your, because we see everything through Harry's eyes. And when people have all of these different surprises and people say, well, just how astute and smart were you when you were 11 years old? Right, so, right. <laughs> so much of this is through his perspective and his understanding, which is somewhat limited. Absolutely. I enjoyed, I mean, that's one of the things I enjoyed about the books a lot is the details. There is so much details provided. I don't always agree with the details. I'm just like, wait, y'all had candles floating in the sky. Come on now. 
Yeah, I can do magic. Okay, do something that spectacular. It's magic. Mm. <laughs> spectacular, spectacular. I love that magic. <laughs> but but, yeah. but you know, like I said, just... that that is such a harken back to the old Enid Blyton type tradition, right? The pointed hats, the cloak, the fact that they're used. You know what I mean? That they are in this hall it's a castle that they're in a sort of a dungeon vibes you know the magical creatures which are important um throughout the, the series ghost. and the ghosts the ghosts ghost. right yes right there are all of these um elements there is something in the lake that is you know there is a lake in fact they travel across a lake that doesn't seem to have any oars or anyone. They're magically moving themselves, right? Right. The transportation in and uh, Hogwarts seems to be uh, one can't see the magic. <laughs> one can't see what the, often always can't see what's happening. Um, there is the sodden hat tradition, the schoolhouses. Because when I was in um, high school, um, we were sodded from the very beginning. There is that process. It didn't mean. They were named after old headmistress and headmasters, like this is. And it's very color-coded as well. And people had that sort of a same, you know, vibe like, oh, if you're in this house, you're such this kind of person. And if you're in that house, you're that kind of person. And you wanted the person, there was house points. There was, you know, so. Like this, this happened in your real life? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And there is that same process at year three where you pick the subjects that you want to do later on. There is mm -hmm. OWLs, which there is an examination like that. There is an examination after two years, O levels, is ordinary levels. Then there is advanced levels, A levels. So it's very, it, the book was definitely done with British sensibilities oh, yeah. in mind. Oh, yeah. It's definitely like even the food that they eat, etc. Absolutely. It, it's very much done with that in mind. So the magical world was very exciting to me. I was always excited about the food until I found out how the food is made. Okay. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, they kept that from us for until they were. The uh, yes, which was rather <laughs> interesting. The house elves, the sleeves. Yes. Um, actually, it was, it was mentioned. Dumbledore mentions it to a certain extent where he said the father used to wear the cloak. And go down to the kitchens to get some food. Doesn't say who gets the food, if I'm not mistaken. Right. But the, it, it, it does imply that there's something going on in the kitchen, right? But we don't know where we don't. We find out later on where the kitchens are. Yeah. Uh -huh. But it is one of those interesting things that happen. Also, interesting enough, um, Deb, do you are a Hufflepuff? Maybe you can tell us where Hufflepuff. Well, Ravenclaw. Uh, Ravenclaw. Oh, Ravenclaw! But you said you they might put you in Hufflepuff. <laughs> All right, but okay, okay. So we will accept your first answer, Ravenclaw. But I would say we don't know where your um house is. It's supposed to be somewhere near the kitchens, apparently. Right. But it's the only house we've never been to. Um, yeah. we've never been to their common room. But yes, yeah, so the, those details, I very much, I must say that J.K. Rowling did an amazing job at that. You know, and I did enjoy the feast because every time I read about the feast, I was hungry. I right. was like, oh my god, they have pork chops. You and see everything. And I felt for Harry. Remember, I felt for Harry. As 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 um as as uh, food deprived as Harry was, he yes. still couldn't he still couldn't out eat Ron. And so 
So Ron was really, remember, the food was extremely important to Ron. Yeah, right. He was definitely. He had food insecurities too, though. No, I think. Insecurities too. (laughs) Jane, I don't know how much longer you're going to let us. We're gonna, you're gonna let us go, but I would love it if people would talk about because I have one, their favorite magical um, artifact from the first book, or their favorite, um, you know. For me, it was the it was the mirror of Erised. Uh, um, the mirror of Erised, I swear to God, can can still make me cry, because, and I think I kept I kept going back to that part of the book. I kept. Whenever I would see the movie, for some reason, I just wanted to, I wanted to wait there until that scene came up. And it's that, powerful. It is such a powerful scene, and it represents Harry's longing, um, the longing that he has for family, the longing that he has to be a part of something, to have a connection, um, which I just th- thought was beautifully executed um, in the book. And, and and in the movie, I know real test has issues with the movies, but I thought that the, the now we're just talking about the book, that whole idea of a mirror that lets you see your heart's um, greatest desire and for Harry it being, it saw, he saw a family. Yeah. Um, and not just a mother and a father, but, you know, relatives of, of, right. of an extended family. Um, I just thought that was so powerful. Exactly. That when you talk about giving him a person and a purpose and what was the third one? Person, personality. Personality. Person, personality. It also let you see what was at the core of who he was. And yeah. that was longing for family and connection. And you know what? As much it, in it, it, it hurt. It that part it hurt. hurt. Like it just it tugged did. at your heart because it he did. kept wanting to go back yes. just to see his family. But you know, even though when he took Ron, right? Ron's wasn't. Ron's was pretty sad too. Yeah. Even yeah. though he was excited about it, he right. wanted to be recognized as somebody in his family. Right. You know, he was like, you know, let me do something. I see myself doing great things. And that was kind of sad, too. But it was a, you know, it was a different it was a different type of sadness. Ron has all these things that Harry wants so desperately, you know, Ron. And we see this throughout the entire series, how Mm -hmm. Harry loves being at the Weasleys. He loves everything about it. He loves the family. He loves the magic that they can do within their house. He loves how many people are there and that they genuinely like each other. You know, and Ron's like, I just get lost in this big family and no one sees me and I just want to be seen. I I really love that part too. I do. And I think it's super, super interesting that Dumbledore won't get in front of that mirror. I want, he I does remember, get in front of the mirror, actually. Well, he but does. we... He lies about what he sees. He lies about what he sees. That's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember from that was that was one of the things that I picked up on, you know, immediately like. Oh, this isn't he's uh, no, this he's lying. (laughs) Like he's he's not telling the truth here. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, does Harry really buy this? And I I don't think he does. But Harry we would see that Harry would later find out exactly he would, it would right. come to him what yeah. he thinks Dumbledore sees in the mirror. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, for me, I think one of these magical artifacts, I think 
that stands out in this first book for me it is the um I know the one plays some significance, but it was the for me it's the invisibility cloak. Ah yeah. That how Harry finds out, you know, we would see the insignificance of it, that it works for him more than anything else, you know. But just when he finds out that the cloak belonged to his father, right. How much that cloak is more than a cloak? That the cloak is actually his protection and the cloak is offering him the protection and and and, and warmth and cover that only a parent could provide someone and he that a parent's supposed to provide, but he can't. The cloak becomes a parent. It's a thing that he doesn't um leave, he doesn't he takes with him everywhere he goes, and we eventually find out that he would in turn give it to his son. Um I but, love as far as the cloak, I love that uh we're kind, you know, we, we learn that Dumbledore gives it to him. Right. And it's just, right. so we just, we see throughout the series, we see the teachers do these little things for Harry, you know, and it's just, but you never, you, you don't get to know why until the very end. Um, and I just love, like, like we said before, these little crumbs that are dropped, because really why on earth would Dumbledore give Harry a cloak that's going to let him Rome break all the rules well you know? yes but but just but i think dumbledore give it to him uh, so we can talk about Dumbledore. well he knows um, that he's gonna need it at some but it point is genuinely thing, need it but it is because, that thing though i mean dumbledore w we can talk about more later as we get into the meat of it he's continuously setting harry up to be killed <laughs> Well, <laughs> but you know, I mean, he really is. I think you know, you can look at it one I of two ways. In, he's he's setting him up to be killed, or he believes in his ability to overcome the things that he's put, the situations that he's putting him in. Sometimes I'm not sure because, but you know, um, I guess we are talking ahead of him. But there is a scene in the sixth book where Don't Dumbledore. Go there. No, but no, okay, <laughs> let me not go there. But it is very clear that Dumbledore, in very in many cases, you know. In this book, in the first book, I accept that though Dumbledore can play, is playing three-dimensional chess, that uh -huh. much is very clear, that in yeah. that moment, what is clear, that one of the reasons he gives him back the cloak and give him the cloak in the first place is because it is that thing that belongs to his father. And that Harry, there is a, um, that cloak becomes a talisman for Harry. Harry know there is safety, there is protection in that cloak. That cloak is working. Harry holds on to that cloak beyond that they didn't even realize the cloak was what it was, right? right. Because in right. their mind, simple mind, it was just a regular cloak that you can just, one of those that fades away in time, yeah. right? They don't realize yeah. the cloak is not that all-powerful invisibility cloak. But Harry holds on to that cloak. And he shares that cloak only with his family. Only with his family. He lets them use the cloak by themselves. He shares the cloak with the people that he's close to. Yeah, and right. um, we need to talk about the friends 
See, see, I know we 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 we're, we're trying to tell ourselves we're going to do this podcast, one podcast. Yeah, this month, is. I, I think I think this would be two. I think this actually would be a good place to end. Um, and we can pick up next time. We can do a, a part two of book one and talk yeah. more about the story. Um, because in the friendships that that well, built it's, and it's, that will continue to grow. Fandom calls them the trio. Yes. What do they call him in the fandom? In the, the fandom, trio. they call him trio. Oh, okay. Trio. That's rather interesting because Harry being the connection to one is mm-hmm. pure blood wizard, one is full muggle, <laughs> and Harry is half and half. So there, there's that right. balance between the two of them. Right. Um, I, I want to see just, um, I want to throw a question that we can think about. Um, there are many questions that I want us to think about, but the role of fantasy, as we are consuming this book mainly as a fantasy, but as we can see, there are many real-world implications to be played out here. And in fact, the person who wrote is not a fantastical figure. It's a human being who lives in the real world. So right. my question for us is, does fantasy, does the fantasy world have to deal with real-world history or real-world issues? Huh. Do they have okay. to account for that? I put it in context because if we know one of the, the, the next largest fantasy that has consumed the Black Cauldron was the Black Panther. And that became an issue where the Black Panther set in Africa, in Wakanda, a traditional place, right? It's not like they yeah. said in South Africa. But whether they had to deal with the transatlantic slavery and colonization, if they had to deal with that. So I okay. did respond to the fans of to deal with that. And I have a oh, I have I'm gonna give out some quiz. I don't know what's happening in Janina's world, but I have some little nugget quiz that I don't know if you ladies can answer them, but we can ask ourselves we can here's a rule we can play. We can ask very questions to point out whether we read the book, the certain tiny details. I had a oh, question. Hell no. I know, right? <laughs> But this is in the first book, so this is just, <coughs> how many staircases are there oh, at Hogwarts? So, we can you do know the answer now, uh, later. I don't know. I'll tell you right now. I, I don't love know. trivia. Jen I love probably trivia. knows. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Okay, do oh. your research. So I have yeah. to be the trivia master. Okay, we'll we'll come back to that. Yes. All right. I have the trivia master. So. This was lovely, ladies. I think we had a lot here. And you see, apparently... So, folks, we were supposed to have nine podcasts. It might be (laughs) (laughs) 20-something Because we are just in the book. Hopefully, this doesn't mean a quarantine goes on for 20-something podcasts. But be safe out there in the world. Unfortunately, there is no magical potion to deal with this situation. But anyway, they already killed Professor Snape, so and I don't trust Slughorn. <laughs> I don't trust it. Polyjuice potion does not work on this on the COVID. Yes, virus. it does not. Okay, 